Well, good morning again. Welcome, everyone. Uh, if you were to rank what you would consider the scariest thing to do, what would you put on that list? If you had a list of it, what would you put on the list? Would you do skydiving, um, eating some random food that your college buddy gives you, um, driving between Tucson and Phoenix on I-10? I mean, really, what is the scariest thing to do? The thing that makes your heart jump, that makes you lock up? Is it being in a room full of strangers? Is it public speaking? A lot of people rank this one pretty high. One that I would add to this list that doesn't get on there a lot but one that really paralyzes us with fear is having to confront someone with something they don't want to hear. I would put that right up at the top of the list. You know that feeling you get when you know you have to go and tell someone something and you know it's going to make them mad and you know you're going to get blowback and you know they're not, it's not going to be a good reaction? That feeling you go from being relaxed to suddenly you're uptight or your heart skipping or your breathing's even harder. Because in your mind you're picturing what? Screaming, yelling. You hope that person won't get aggressive with you. But of course that depends on who you're talking to. I can say that public speaking is way less scary than having to go and confront someone with something they don't want to hear. And have to do that face to face. You know, you do that when you fire employees, and it can get ugly. Uh, but at least you have some power in that situation. What do you do, you do if it's a friend? Or, uh, or what do you do with a coworker, a fellow member of your church? Then it can get personal. And you have to sit there and live through all the hard feelings you just caused. Uh, and that can be tough. In your mind, you may say, I didn't cause it. They caused it when they did something wrong. But in reality, you know when you confront that that's going to be the trigger. And I know that I still get that pit in my stomach sometimes. You know, and you, you have to breathe deep. I, I heard of one guy, he would when he had to confront people, he would get nauseous, like physically nauseous and be throwing up at the thought of having to engage in a one-on-one -on -one confrontation. I, I heard of one boss, I know, he, he was so scared of confrontation, he had to fire this administrator, the secretary he had, and he just couldn't bring himself to do it. So what he did is he went out and hired a new one and has given the new one the tour of the office. The old one's still there. And so the, they're walking around and they get to the desk where this, the secretary's desk and the new uh, candidate says, um, is this, this the desk? And he's like, yeah, that's the desk you'll have. And she goes, well, what chair am I gonna use? And he kind of pauses for a minute and points at the old secretary and he's like, yeah, that one with the old secretary sitting there. That's how she found out she was fired. And you just go, 
Oh, I mean, why did you sign up to be a boss in the first place if you, if you can't even handle a task that simple? That's what comes with being a supervisor, is having to fire people and having to make that conversation. It's not a fun one ever. You know, I've done it. And, uh, you know, I've had to have that talk. I've been called numerous names. I've been told where I can go. I've been told things I should do with myself that are maybe anatomically a little difficult. It's stressful because you like to think you're a good person and, and a nice person and confronting someone makes you the bad guy. It doesn't give you that positive feedback but if you don't do it, it's not like the problem's going to go away. And if you are hurt by something, if this isn't an employment thing, but a personal thing, where you've been hurt by something that somebody has done, that hurt will not just magically fade into the air if you pretend that it's not there. It doesn't just go away if you try to imagine it away. The resentment will continue to fester. So to deal with it, you got to sit down and have a talk. This is why I think Jesus goes through in the Gospel of Matthew and he outlines for us a process to go through when we in the church have done something else, done something to hurt someone else. And it's a three-step process for how church communities should deal with somebody who has hurt someone or sinned against someone else. Because even if we all have nothing but the best intentions and we're all trying our hardest and we're all doing our best to be as good as we can to one another, sooner or later, even trying well, we will do something to hurt someone and offend someone and it's unavoidable. And it could be something insensitive, he said. It could be something you know, said in the heat of anger. Uh, it could be a slip of the tongue. Maybe you didn't realize it. Or it could be something deliberately hurtful. That does happen. I wish I could say it didn't happen in churches, but I know better. So what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say about this? Matthew 18 starts at verse 15. He says, if another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. So you got this three-step process. Confront the person one-on-one, -on -one, bring in witnesses, bring it up to the church, maybe the board, the elders. If that doesn't work, then you gotta let them go. You've done your due diligence. Now, I can't tell you the number of times where I've seen churches let hurts fester, sometimes for years, or where they've let a, a, one or two con really controlling people 
just seemed to take over everything because they just couldn't bring themselves to get to step one, confrontation. They couldn't bring themselves to sit down with that one individual and just tell him, you know, when you said X, Y, Z, it was really hurtful. Or maybe you could word it more personally, like they tell you to in therapy sessions, right? When you did X, Y, Z, it hurt me. And because you know, they were scared or, or uncomfortable or unwilling to be the bad guy, they, they didn't want to stir the pot, they didn't want to get yelled at, they didn't want to get seen as causing trouble, so they couldn't get to step one. And so you think to yourself, Jesus, why do you have to make this so hard? Why start there? Why can't I just jump right to step two? Go straight to bringing other people in. It's a lot comf more comfortable. I certainly feel safer. Yeah, I'm outnumbering the other person and they're going to feel ambushed. But then I don't have to be the bad guy alone. So Jesus, why couldn't you just forget about number one? Let me go straight to number two. Maybe we'd get more problems taken care of if people knew they could confront uh, with others. I, I mean, you could even ask Jesus, why didn't you just say, put an anonymous complaint box in there and then let people, you know, be angry and mean to each other and send that to the board? Of course, you think about either one of those, and it's like, well, that's not going to work. That's going to make it worse. People do it. I've seen churches do it. Jesus, why do you got to make me? Because that's the only way. A one-on-one -on -one confrontation, one-on-one -on -one talk is the only way to do it and still have the possibility that when it's done, there will be healing. When you confront someone one-on-one, -on -one, you keep it quiet enough and low profile enough that the person is in a space where they can admit they were wrong. You have that possibility where they can admit they were wrong, they can apologize, and they can do it without losing face in front of, the, in front of others, in front of the whole church. They don't have to walk around with a giant scarlet letter. And that's the idea. That's what Jesus is trying for here, to bring healing. As he said, if you do that and they repent, then you have regained that one. The first goal is to try to keep the person from leaving, to heal. I mean, maybe it won't happen. You know, not everybody admits they were wrong and apologizes. But at least then you have the option. It won't happen if you gang up on them. Now, the other thing is this allows the two of you to talk through the specifics of what happened, the nuances, the things that other people might not know about. When you bring other people in, you know, they're hearing your version of the story. They weren't there. And I might not tell that story very honestly. I might tilt it to make me look like the good guy. When it's just the two of us, we were there in that moment, we have the knowledge. And sometimes it's just a misunderstanding. If we're all there, we can work through that. And as I say, there are ways, and there are ways, of course. Uh, here are some things we're thinking about. When you have a fellow member who has hurt you, and you need to follow Jesus' guidance on how to confront them one-on-one. -on -one. Think about the setting. Start with that. Think about the setting. Where do you do it? Try to find a place that's calming, 
that is a little maybe less, a little more friendly, a more good vibes, maybe a more relaxing place where you've got good memories with the person. I know this can be hard to do over Zoom, but this is the ideal. And it might be worth thinking through if you want, if you really want to go straight to the topic, the hard topic, or maybe work your way into it. I mean, if you're friends, maybe it could be good to spend a little bit of time, you know, catching up so that you can affirm to this person that the relationship does matter to you. That you're, that, uh, you're still basically on their side, that, that you're still friends, that this is not an antagonistic thing. I think that goes a long ways towards softening the blow. It's easier to hear something uncomfortable from a friend than, you know, when you hear something uncomfortable coming from someone who's not. Because when it's someone who's not a friend, you think they might be out to hurt you. If you know the person's not out to hurt you and you have that trust, it's easier to take the bad news. So make sure the person knows up front that you're not out to get them, but that you're just trying to keep the relationship together. But something's happened to make it hard to do that. Then you have how you word it. I would tend to say, don't be around the bush. Be clear, but that the point is not to hurt the relationship. You know, you think of the jokes you made that you think were in good fun, only to learn that later you were really making fun of someone or their family and you didn't realize it. And, you know, yes, we live in a time when some people can get offended very easily, but, you know, taking oversensitivity, you know, put that aside, it happens to the best of us in the moment that we say something that can be offensive to someone else without even knowing it. And you can get confronted by it. And if the person's really your friend who's coming to you, you it's easier to apologize and say, yeah, sorry, I didn't, didn't know, I screwed up. You know they're not someone trying to score points with in an argument. You know they're not trying to get you. They're your friends, they're your family, they're your members of your church. They want the relationship to stay, they just need you to know that those words really hurt. And, and yeah, it, it isn't any fun to be on the other end. It's a blow to your pride to be confronted and told you screwed up. It's a blow to your ego to be in a position of being called out, but it's really the only authentic way to move forward. You know, I grew up in the Midwest. I don't know how many of you grew up in the Midwest. The culture in the Midwest uh, tends to have a hierarchy. There's committing the crime, and then there's rocking the boat by talking about the crime. And it's almost like bringing it out into the open uh, is considered making a scene, disturbing the peace, and committing the ultimate upper Midwestern sin, not being nice. And, and not being nice could sometimes be a code word for confronting someone about something they did. And so the result was that you could have a very nice community full of nice people where everybody had grievances against everyone that they never dealt with, at least to their faces. And so things could get passive aggressive, things could go roundabout, things could get gossipy, 
I mean, I know everybody does it everywhere, but I know that Brooklyn does not have an ethic of being nice. Nobody ever talks about Brooklyn nice. But the idea is that, yeah, we can all do that, where we'd rather sort of suck in the pain and live in a fake relationship and in a fake community because we're so afraid of that confrontation. And then, of course, you're in this community and someone new comes in and, you know, they start to peel back some of the layers and get to know people and they wonder if, if is this really First Christian Church or is this, you know, another episode of some suburban soap opera where everyone's smiling on the outside, backbiting behind, backbiting when no one's looking. And, you know, finally, as you do this, you have to be prepared for the person you confront to end the relationship. It might happen. That is an option. Some people aren't willing to talk it through. And you could get a laundry list of grievances hurled back at you and told where you can go and what you can do. But you have to say to yourself in those moments, in that case, it's on them and not on me. And if the, if the whole foundation of the relationship is me being hurt and angry and resentful and them clueless, that's not really a great place to be anyways. Because the alternative to that hard confrontation is a fake relationship and a fake community and a fake church. And one of the things that I know that people outside of the church are always criticizing the church about is saying that we're fake, that we act one way and we talk another. We talk love, but we're full of drama and intrigue. And that's not a good Christian witness. You don't think it was hard for Jesus to be going around telling his disciples things they didn't want to hear? Do you, do you think it was easy for Jesus to tell Peter that he was Satan and he had to get behind him because Peter was trying to tempt Jesus into taking power? Do you think it was easy telling Judas that no, we're not going to sell the expensive oil that the woman's pouring on me. We're going to use it because you're not getting it that there's more important things as the last few days of my life are running out than making a few bucks off oil. Do you think G Judas took it well? The story says he didn't. A real community is one where our bonds with each other go deep enough that we don't have to fear telling someone we're hurt because we're so afraid that everything's going to crumble. <coughs> that's a really weak community if that's what it is. What we're trying to do here what Jesus is trying to help us build together is this model of a community where, yes, it's hard work and it can be full of emotional bruising from the criticism and the uncomfortable conversations and confrontations and the shrunken egos, but it's what makes the kind of real community that builds faith, that builds trust. Because you can't have a real community if everyone's got skeletons in the closet and grievances unaddressed. Building trust doesn't mean building comfort. It doesn't mean building nice. 
Jesus did not say, I came that they may be nice. Trust is what we're about. Faith is what we're about. And that kind of community, that's the kind that I really dream of for us. That's the kind of community I desire. That's the kind of community Jesus talks about. And that's the kind of community that demonstrates God's love. Amen.